Well, one rabbi rose from the dead, the other did not. And that has made all the difference. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We are going to have a fascinating, very important, thoroughly Jewish Thursday today. This is Michael Brown. Phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Late this morning, we got word that there was a tornado warning in our community, county where we live, and then severe thunderstorms came in. I was about to do a Skype interview in uh, India. And I tell the brother, I said, you know, we better reschedule because they just told the community nearby to us to go to shelter. And as I looked up, this massive torrent of rain poured in. But everybody's well, everybody's safe. Just interesting to have something come that close to you. And I think we're past any of the severe weather, so we should be broadcasting without a hitch. If you suddenly hear the sound of a tornado and my voice disappears, well, perhaps it's like, chariots of fire coming down from heaven or whirlwind or something like that. No, in all seriousness, all is well. And it makes you realize, though, how frail and fragile things can be. All right. Again, 866-348-7884. And just to my team members, you might want to come in and restart my computer, which is completely frozen. All right. Got something really, really interesting to talk to you about. My newest book will be released on March 3rd. The title is Resurrection, Investigating a Rabbi from Brooklyn, a Preacher from Galilee, and the Event that Changed the World. Now, I want to tell you what the book is about in a moment and talk to you about some really interesting Jewish traditions today. But first, I want to give you the background to how the book came to be written. And I want to go back first, well over 25 years. We lived in Maryland, and there was a friend of mine, also a Jewish believer in Jesus, and he was doing his master's work at Johns Hopkins University, and he was studying the historical aspects of Hebrew grammar and things like that. And when we were... uh, hanging out, he would come to my home and I would tutor him in biblical Hebrew and aspects of ancient Hebrew and things like that. And because we were in two different groups, we would all have theological debates. We would go back and forth at each other and he challenged me and I challenged him. And, and, you know, I was sure I was right on certain points. Other points, I wondered, could could he be right here? Is it possible he's got the the right uh, perspective? So one day, One day before he came over, I prayed and I said, Father, if he's right on this particular point, not a a fundamental matter of the faith, just a difference within the faith. We're having this debate. I said, if he's right about this one particular point, then when he comes over today, instead of our standard reading of biblical Hebrew texts, instead of going through Hebrew grammar uh, in, in the Bible and things like that, instead of that, let him ask me, can we study Palestinian Hebrew texts written without vowels? 
I mean, the likelihood of him asking me that would have been <laughs> not far from him saying, I'd like us to discuss today the Hebrew roots of the Santa Claus myth. You know, it's just, what? It would have been completely out of the blue. But I happen to have a book that just had Palestinian text, ancient Palestinian text written without vowels. And I, I had been looking at it, and I thought, okay, I'm going to pray that prayer. Well, he comes over that day, and to my tremendous surprise, says to me, hey, Mike, how about today we study Palestinian Hebrew text without vowels? That got my attention, and, and it caused me to go back to Scripture and study that issue once again to see, okay, Scripture is, is, is what decides things, not a sign like that. But I was praying if he's right in his position here, let that happen. And then so I went back to the Word afresh and studied it again after that point. Okay, fast forward to last year or a little over a year ago, maybe 15 months ago. We have talked in a period of maybe 25 years, about two times, maybe three, had him on the radio one time, but otherwise we have virtually no contact at all. The rarest of rare of rare. I mean, 15 years could go by with no contact. So what happened was I got tremendously book, uh, burdened to write a book on this subject, the subject of my book that's about to come out. I got tremendously burdened to write about it and I, I, I was overwhelmingly gripped in prayer one morning. I, I mean, as gripped as I get, just groaning in prayer and burdened before the Lord and feeling God speaking to me to write a book on the very particular theme of this new book, Resurrection, investigating a rabbi from Brooklyn, a preacher from Galilee, and the event that changed the world. So, <clears throat> so what happened was, as I, uh, as I was praying about this, I go to the office to do the radio show. It guys, looks like my computer is rebooting. I go to the office, to our studio here, to do the radio show, and finish the show. Lo and behold, there's a voicemail from my friend. He called during the show. We have not talked in a long period of time. And again, the last time we talked, if, if you go back before that, you're talking a stretch of maybe 15 years. So we may have talked a year before and then 15 years before that. It's a voicemail from my friend. And he says to me, Mike, I'm thinking about writing a book. And the book he's thinking about is the exact same theme that I was praying about that morning. I mean, to the detail. And can I recommend any reading on that? Now, ultimately, two different people writing two different books, they'll come out two different distinct ways. But I thought, isn't that wild? There was that supernatural confirmation years and years back in the strangest way. And now, what, like 25 years later, another confirmation like that. Now, the content of the book is fascinating and eye-opening. I believe it's going to be an incredible read for you as a lover of Jesus, as a follower of Yeshua. But it's going to be a phenomenal tool to get out to Jewish people. And I believe it's going to be used in particular to reach religious Jews and ultimately to reach religious Jews in Israel in Hebrew. Every word I wrote as I was writing it, I was thinking about translation into Hebrew, translation into Hebrew, getting it out there. All right, so what's the subject matter? What's this whole thing about? <clears throat> the subject of resurrection is one that I did not focus on in my apologetics writings over the years. 
I did not make a major issue of it in answering Jewish objections to Jesus. And obviously, traditional Jews and secular Jews that don't believe in Jesus don't believe he rose from the dead. But that was just not a major thing I was going to focus on because you've got all these great books on the resurrection. And you've got scholars, you know, Gary Habermas and Michael Acona and others that have done such great work on the resurrection. And this has been something where there's been great apologetics work done for many, many years. The whole question of who moved the stone and different things and the reliability of the Gospels and the historicity of the accounts and and so on. But I had only commented on a little bit over the years because so many had done what they've done. And in my preaching and teaching, I'm always talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus of course, of course. But, but that being said, the resurrection of Jesus in terms of Jewish apologetics has never been a major focus of mine. So here's what happened. Back in 1994, a man named Menachem Mendel Schneerson, known as the Lubavitcher Rebbe, or the Grand Rabbi of Lubavitch, he died at the age of 92 in 1994. And when he died, there was tremendous expectation among his followers, who numbered in the tens of thousands, that he was the Messiah. Without question, he was one of the most influential Jewish leaders of the 20th century, if not the most influential. Without question, the movement that he built has continued to grow and expand so that his followers are represented in every continent, in every community where there are Jewish people of any number, they are there. They've built schools. They've built synagogues. They've been involved in all types of outreach. And he was allegedly a miracle worker. And he was certainly a brilliant, learned man and an inspirational leader. Uh, he <laughs> allegedly prophesied certain things that came to pass. And so they're looking at him. Could he be the Messiah? Well, then he dies. End of subject, Right. Only Christians believe in a dying and resurrected Messiah. Only Christians believe that the Messiah could die before his mission is completed, only to be resurrected to complete his mission after that. That's not a Jewish belief, right? Well, his followers began to rationalize. They began to say, well, his death was just a test for our physical eyes. Now, many said he died. We thought he was the Messiah. We hoped he was the Messiah, but he wasn't. Now we move on, inspired by his teachings, and he's with us present, you know, he's present with us spiritually, and we're inspired by him and his example, and we'll continue his work without, without hindrance. Okay. But many others said, no, he's really still alive. His death was just a test for a physical eyes. Or if you'll go to the grave there in Brooklyn, you'll see he's really not in there if you, if you open it up, if you open up the tomb. Or there were vigils of his followers camped out, waiting for him to physically rise. Now, now here's what's so important. 19, excuse me, 2019, the 25th anniversary of his death, and you know, a lot of talk about that. But interestingly, his most ardent followers still believe he's the Messiah. Interestingly, if you go to their websites, you, you don't see that his, the day of his death is marked as the anniversary of his death. No, because they don't believe he really died. So, Here's where this ties in with the gospel. Here's where this ties in with Jesus. And this is so fascinating. This is a story I tell in the book. Unpack it, unfold it, even get into Jewish mystical traditions. How do we sort those out? What do we do with that? The idea that the Messiah was born the day the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, 
and the soul of the Messiah is present in every generation. What do we do with that? Other false messiahs in Jewish history, and, and what was the expectation with them? Say, okay, very, very interesting, fascinating. Trust me, trust me. When you read the book, Resurrection, you'll, you'll find it to be a tremendously fascinating read. You say, what's that got to do with the gospel? What's that got to do with resurrection? What's the proof? What's the point that you're making? Ah, that's what I'm going to explain to you on the other side of the break. And then I want to take your calls. I want to give you an update about extreme anti-Semitism in Christian circles today and give you some sobering news about terrorist attack in Israel recently. 866-348-7884. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-34-TRUTH. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to the broadcast if you have a Jewish-related question, comment, 866-34-TRUTH. All right, still trying to resolve one computer issue here so I can properly interact with your calls. But back to, back to the, the subject of resurrection. Let me just tell you, if you want to pre-order a signed, numbered copy of the book, it is due out on March 3rd. All right, if you'd like to order a signed, numbered copy, all right, so moment, moment the book comes in, uh, you'll get it. We'll, we number them, I sign them, we send them out. So it's, it's, just, it's uh, just something special that we do that a lot of our folks enjoy. And I love to sign them, put a scripture reference in, the, but they're all signed by me, scripture reference, they're numbered. So you get, you know, number 100 or number 60 or number three. And uh, if you'd like to do that, Go to our website, AskDrBrown.org, AskDrBrown.org, and you'll see it right on the homepage. Or or you can, if you want to take advantage of a special offer from the publisher, an amazing offer where you get the ebook free and you get the Jezebel's War with America ebook free and Playing with Holy Fire ebook free and Secrets of the Real Messiah, uh, Seven Secrets ebook free. And then a free audio message and a free video message, over $70 of free material, go to drbrownbooks.com. Drbrownbooks.com. This is a special offer from the publisher. And then wherever you order, Amazon or any of the, the, the online book dealers, Christian book, etc., you order from any of them and then send it in and boom, you get all these when the book comes out. So, all right. <clears throat> Back to the significance of the expectations about Lubavitcher Rebbe rising from the dead. What's fascinating is that with all the claims that he's with us spiritually, 
If you go to their headquarters in Brooklyn, you'll still find his most devoted followers claim, yes, he's right here in our midst now. Yes, he's, he's, at that, he's in his chair now. And in other words, we can sense it spiritually. With all of that talk, with, with confessing him as the Messiah and doing everything that they do on a regular basis, with all of that, they still never claimed that he physically rose from the dead and that anyone saw it. To this day, to this day, with, with many Jews would say they're fanatics, even within the movement there, there's a great divide because the vast majority of them will not publicly say we believe he's the Messiah, although many may believe it. Those who say he's the Messiah, some say he's, he's actually God incarnate. People say they're fanatics, etc. There was a well-known professor, David Berger, professor at, uh, in, in Brooklyn and highly respected he wrote a major book saying that Orthodox Jews should repudiate them and say they're no longer practicing Judaism. What they're practicing is more of a form of Christianity because they believe the Messiah died and rose from the dead to continue his mission and so on. So divisions in the Jewish community over this. All right. Yet with all the fanatical belief and all the passionate belief, they didn't report that he rose from the dead. You say, oh, OK, that's interesting. That's interesting. But what's the punchline? All right, here's the punchline. For many years, we've heard, well, look, there are various explanations for why the disciples claim that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, you had the Passover plot by you, Schoenfeld, many years ago. And, well, it was he swooned. Jesus didn't really die. He swooned. He appeared to die and, and then revived. And that's the resurrection account. Of course, that's been rejected for many reasons. Well, they, they just made it up. They just created it. They knew it didn't happen. They just created a cognitive dissonance. You, you believe the opposite. You know, you get a report that confirms the, the opposite of what you want to happen. Instead of being discouraged, you believe even more. It's, it's a form of emotional and mental denial. All right, so that's what the disciples did. It was cognitive dissonance and nothing more. And we can psychologically explain it. Then people push back and say, but then if they knew it was a lie or ultimately it was just some emotional thing, then at a certain point reality sets in. Why in the world would they end up dying for this faith? The ones who created a myth, why would they die for it subsequently? But here's what's so fascinating. Now, now hear me out. Hear me out. Because it's very, very powerful. And we lay it out in the book in a way that I believe is really going to glorify the Lord. When you look at the followers of the Rebbe, they were expecting him not to die, or if he died, to rise. They're expecting him to be glorified. There was tremendous anticipation. There were people dancing in the street after he died because they were excited he was going to rise. They were waiting for it. They were looking for it. They were expecting it. They come up with all these different beliefs that he didn't really die and so on and so forth. And, and yet, none of them say, none of their major rabbis, none of none of the People that are just their, the average followers. None of them say, yes, yes, we saw him physically after he died. We saw him physically. We sat and ate with him. They're not saying that. Their rabbis aren't saying it. Why? Because it didn't happen. And because people do not come up with myths like that about dead leaders. Now, here's the contrast. When you read the Gospels, the accounts are very embarrassing. It makes the founders of the faith look bad. They were discouraged. They were hopeless. They were depressed. They were in fear. When women came, 
not the ones that you want to be the first witnesses, right? When women came and said, we saw him, the grave's empty. We said, no, it couldn't happen. No, you're wrong. Okay. They, it was the, the last thing they expected. It was over. Yeah, he told them over and over, I'm going to rise, but they didn't get it. Their, their minds were, 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 were closed. Their, their eyes were blinded. Their understanding was, was darkened. Oh, it's not. He's dead. He's just over. It just faced the facts. We were wrong. We were deceived. We thought he was a miracle worker. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the son of God. Obviously, he's not because he died. Well, they kept telling him I'm going to die and rise, but they didn't get it. They were dense spiritually. And again, you don't record these things about your leaders and founders when you make them look that bad. It was the exact opposite of the situation with the followers of the Rebbe, who were convinced he's going to rise who are waiting for him to rise, who are expecting him to rise, and he doesn't rise. This was the opposite. They weren't expecting it. They were downcast. They were distraught. His resurrection was a shock. So here we have a contemporary example, 20th, 21st century example, where you see the cognitive dissonance only goes so far. The denial of reality only goes so far. That's why... You don't have all kinds of myths about other leaders resurrecting, no matter how much they were believed, no matter how much they were followed, no matter how much they were revered. And that's why, look, what's more emotional, what's more painful, what's more distressing than when you lose a close loved one? The pain, the agony, the sense of separation, the loss, it's, it's, it's the only way you can understand is having gone through it. And, and yet people might say, well, we're still connected spiritually or we, you know, with seances, we connect or oh, no, I talk, I talk to my, my husband. I know he's been dead 10 years, but I talk to him every night. You know, people have these beliefs and these things. He appears to me in a dream. And, but how many people do you have saying, yeah, he's physically resurrected? Yeah, she physically resurrected. No, there's something sudden and definite and final and boom, death. And that's it. So the Messiah dies. It's over. The, the disciples are depressed, discouraged, fearful, disheartened, downcast. His resurrection was a shock to them. And the reason they knew it was true was because they experienced it and saw it with their own eyes. It is the exact opposite of what happened with the followers of the Rebbe. Oh, yes, they've gone on with the movement. And they're inspired by his teaching. That happens. I mean, Muhammad died, Right. And, and his movement grew after him, and Buddha died, and his movement grew after him, and other, you know, Joseph Smith died, and his movement grew after him. Other people have had movements grow after they died, but not based on the resurrection of the one who died, except here. And then, of course, we have the ongoing working of the Spirit to this moment, God saving and touching and healing and convicting and delivering people all around the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. Oh, it's fascinating. In the new book, I get into Jewish traditions about a dying Messiah and ask, are there Jewish traditions about a rising Messiah? And then tell a story about the most influential false Messiah of all time in the 1600s. One of the craziest, most wild stories is beyond belief. You think, no, you're making this up. No, no, you made, no, it's, it, you had to make this. Okay, if that, no, you're making this up. It is so absurd the story of Shabbatai Tzvi called the mystical Messiah. And yet even with him, with this crazy, wild story that in certain circles persists to this day, even then 
there were not accounts of him rising, of him resurrecting. Isn't that extraordinary? So I encourage you to be praying with me that God will use this book to touch and save many Jewish people. And as a Christian, as a Messianic Jew, as a follower of Jesus Yeshua, you'll find the book to be really, really fascinating. I mean, the kind of thing, you it's a page-turner. It's one of those books you'll find it to be a real page-turner and one you're probably going to share with someone else. So, again, if you'd like to get a signed, numbered copy, kind of a collector's edition, go to our website, sdrbrown.org. You'll see it right on the homepage. If you'd like to take advantage of the special offer to get $70 of free ebooks and materials when you order the book, go to drbrownbooks.com and it'll give you all the simple instructions to order there. Okay, Jewish-related calls, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. We'll be right back. of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Are you, are you suggesting that the Israelis are, are influencing the election to have the Democrats nominate its first openly homosexual presidential candidate? That would fit in with values that are, agree with that. And so, and I have the opinion that they're not only trying to influence this election, they influenced the last election as well. Of course they did. They got Donald saying. Trump elected. Yeah, that is some of the continually wild, what words are you going to put on it? Irresponsible reporting of Rick Wiles and True News. Trust me, he has been confronted over and again, privately and publicly. He has dug in his heels. He must be called out and recognized as a dangerous anti-Semite. What makes this all the more horrific is he's doing it in Jesus' name. He's doing it as an evangelical. He's doing it in an evangelical news network. So, yeah, it's all the, the Jews. The, Jew, the Jews were responsible for the debacle in Iowa. The Jews. Yeah, the Jews. They're the ones behind Pete Buttigieg's success, and they're trying to get the first openly homosexual president elected. Of course, the Jews also got Donald Trump elected, and they control Donald Trump. But other groups of Jews are on the other side, so it's the Jews who control the right and the Jews who control the left. Those evil, terrible, diabolical Jews. Thus says Rick Wiles, who has really lost touch with reality, sad to say. And I pray for his awakening, and I pray for his repentance. Let's listen to a little bit more of what Rick Wiles and his guest had to say. There's an Israeli connection to the Iowa disaster last night. Will the Times of Israel report that? I don't know. They might accuse me of being anti-Semitic for saying it. But the truth is, there is an Israeli connection to the app that bombed last night in Iowa. But you're not allowed to say these things. Everybody's being censored now. By whom? The same people who are doing this stuff. Right. 
I mean, this isn't too hard to figure out what's going on. A coup, a takeover of the United States of America, unless we resist. Rick, you really need help. You really need serious help. You are going further and further off the deep end. And the more you warn about what the evil Jews are trying to do and take over the nation, and some of your other broadcasts say that they're going to slaughter millions of Christians and say we have to resist. Rick, people are going to do crazy things based on your irresponsible words. Well, is there an Israeli connection to the app that that? went down in Iowa? Oh, well, hang on. I thought the Jews are trying to get Pete Buttigieg elected. The Jews are trying to do it. Israel is trying to do it. But then Israel connected with the app that failed when he did well in Iowa. and It could have helped his victory be shouted out even more quickly. <clears throat> and by the way, there's probably an Israeli connection to, to Rick Wilde's broadcast because there's a lot of Israeli technology that we use in our cell phones and on the Internet. A Jew coup. God help Rick Wiles. God help True News. God help those who are deceived by this. And and now it's like, well, they're trying to censor us. Listen, if you say stupid things, we're going to call them out as stupid. If you say irresponsible things, we're going to call them out as irresponsible. If if you say dangerous things, we're going to call them out as dangerous. All right? And that's the reality of it. Now it's like, oh, because people are recognizing the folly of the things you're saying. Oh, well, that proves there's a Jewish conspiracy behind it. You know, that's just this persecution martyr complex and and conspiratorial theorizing that that just confirms everything. The less facts you have, the more it confirms it. But it gets even worse. Listen to the last quote, last clip from this. We're losing our rights and freedoms and we're being taken over by a foreign power that is antichrist. The very people who crucified Christ are going to be our masters if we don't do something about it. The people who crucified Christ, first and foremost, are you and me, because it's our sins that put them on the cross. Even more, perf- even more importantly, God sent his son to die for our sins. And Jesus said, no one takes my life, I lay it down freely. As for the people physically involved with the crucifixion of Jesus, the Romans who nailed him to the cross, the Jewish leaders who rejected him, they all died 2,000 years ago. The people of Israel today are not the people who crucified Jesus. They are a nation of people, many of them secular, worldly, unsaved, needing the Lord. Others very, very religious, but hostile to Jesus and the gospel, also needing the Lord. But like the rest of the people in this world, needing the gospel, lost people needing the gospel, like every other nation, period. To, to, to fear-monger like this, Rick, is utterly irresponsible. And of course, you'll turn this to show how you're being persecuted, how you're being attacked, and this will be yet another example of how we're coming against you for the sake of the gospel, for the truth of the gospel, for the well-being of the Jewish people, for the health of the church, I will continue to call this out and warn it is irrational, irresponsible anti-Semitism. And Rick, the fact you refuse to bring me on your broadcast and give me equal time to debate these issues, the fact you refuse to come on my broadcast and have equal time to debate the issues, the fact that you refuse to have a public moderated debate to debate the issues, the fact that you refuse to sit with me in private to discuss the issues is proof enough that you are not walking in the truth. If you were, you'd come into the full light and allow your ideas to be criticized and taken apart 
factually. Let's pray for Rick. I believe he's someone who's known the Lord in the past. Let's pray that that relationship with God will be deep enough to bring him to repentance before people really get hurt. And yes, I meant every single word of that. 866-34-TRUTH. By the way, if you're listening or you're watching and you agree and you think, oh, yeah, he's right, Brown, you're just sticking your head in the sand or you're a secret agent for Mossad or you're working for some other group or you're trying to destroy the church, if, if you believe those kind of crazy, idiotic lies, and I, trust me, we get sent them all the time. After this broadcast, people will be posting crazy things on YouTube, all right? It happens all the time. Well, why don't you call in? And explain yourself factually. Why don't you give the evidence for your position factually? How about that? Is that too much to ask? All right. If you're just tuning in, welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Brown here. 866-348-7884. On yesterday's broadcast, we specially pre-recorded because I was traveling back from Florida. The earlier flight that I would normally take wasn't available. So I was traveling during radio time, but I had solicited questions online, Twitter and Facebook about the book of Job. Now, I got to be candid with you. When I posted the tweet, I, I thought I'll probably get like a handful of questions, maybe three, four questions. I posted on Facebook too. And even though we've got a large social media audience, I thought, I don't know, maybe get like 10, 15 questions. And, but I'll just choose the best and give in-depth answers and we'll make a good show out of it. And I, you'll, you'll find it educational and informative and edifying. Well, to my pleasant surprise, we got dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of questions. I mean, on Twitter and on Facebook, you know, scores and scores of questions very quickly. I thought, whoa, I, I love it. I love the fact that Job raises so many questions. I, I love the fact that there's such interest in the book of Job. But if you listen to yesterday's broadcast, you'll also notice we didn't talk about the State of the Union. We didn't talk about the impending acquittal on the impeachment charges or Mitt Romney voting uh, uh, guilty on the first of the uh, articles of impeachment. We didn't talk about any of that. The reason being it was a pre-recorded broadcast. So just to say very, very quickly On a political level, I believe the Democrats shot themselves in the foot with the impeachment hearings. And even though a larger attempt was being made to discredit the president and to hurt his chances of reelection and to negatively influence uh, voters in terms of of Senate and and House so that uh, Democrats could gain more ground there, I believe ultimately it was a political fail. Now, some may have done it out of great sincerity. Others did it just out of hatred. But overall... From the start, it seemed to me self-evident it was going to be a political fail. And I think we all knew where it was heading in terms of acquittal. And interestingly, right before, right before the uh, verdict was going to be rendered by the Senate, Gallupol puts out interesting information that Trump's approval rate was at 49 percent, the highest ever. So he got more popular as the trial and attack was going on. And with him saying relatively little at certain parts of it, certain parts of it, he got more popular. Isn't that interesting? Now, with the acquittal, there's even more momentum than with the debacle in Iowa with with the the voting uh, issues not being properly counted. 
it's quite fascinating to see. What about Mitt Romney voting guilty on the first charge and then uh, not guilty, voting for acquittal on the second? He's getting roasted for it. He's getting attacked for it. He's getting vilified for it. He's a traitor. He should be kicked out of the Republican Party. On his part, he says he wrestled with it. He prayed about it. He thought about it. He made an oath before God, and he's a very religious man. He's a Mormon. That was therefore very important to him. Now, I'm not a Mormon, all right? I'm not a Mormon. And I do not believe that Mormonism is a true form of Christianity. And I believe that Joseph Smith was a false prophet. I believe all those things. Yet, and I know that Romney has shifted his views on abortion and has been pro-abortion in the past. I know many would say that he opened the door to gay activism in Massachusetts. Many would say that he is heartless and ruthless the way he's run Bain and, and taking advantage of other companies. And he's gotten rich off the hardship of others and have all these accusations against Mitt Romney. And he's just doing what he's doing out of bitterness towards Trump because Trump succeeded where he failed. I understand all that. My perspective, though, is if he says that this was his heartfelt conviction, that after wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and looking at the facts, that this is what he had to do, and it's the hardest thing he's ever done, but he had to do what he felt was right before God and for the sake of his legacy to his kids and his grandkids. I accept that. I accept that. I'm not mad at him for doing what he did. If that, I take him at his word. I do my best to take people at their word unless there's clear evidence to the contrary. So I take him at his word. I, I think he's destroyed his career politically by doing this, and that it'll cost him a lot more than it gains him. That's my personal opinion. But I, I believe he acted out of conscience. I respect that. I differ with his assessment. I differ with his conclusion. But I respect that. Just being candid with you. All right, we'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hi, friends. We have less than 10 seats. I don't know if it's 8, 6, don't know the exact number. But as far as I know right now, less than 10 seats left on our Israel trips. So I'll remind you because it's Thursday, Jewish Thursday. You say, well, it's the beginning of February. The trip's not till May. Yeah, you, most folks signed up months and months in advance. Uh, so we just have about less than 10 seats left. So if you're planning on coming, especially with family members, now's the time to sign up and, and get your funds in. So go to our website, org, and you'll see the banner right on the homepage it is the trip of a lifetime, and I, I, it is so exciting when uh, I, I normally get in a day, a day ahead, and then when everyone gets to the hotel, sort of greet everybody as, as they arrive, and then to get out that first day, and it, uh, just, it's amazing. It's like, wow, wow. You say, well, how political is it? It's not political. It's connecting you to the land of the Bible. It's connecting you to what happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. And then you're also in the midst of a place that is constantly filled with prophetic meaning and constantly filled with, with, with just prophetic reality. 
And the fact that this place that was desolate for so long is, is thriving. Yes, needing the Lord, but thriving. And, and God moving and, and more and more Jewish people coming to faith. It is, it is wild. So, so listen, listen. A couple days ago, I get a message from one of our grads who's an Israeli citizen with his wife and kids. And he was praying about outreach, Hebrew outreach on, on a new channel with God TV called Shelanu. He was praying about that and praying about, Lord, who's going to watch? Will the Israelis watch the programming that we put up? He's at the Ben-Gurion airport. So I guess it was the night of Super Bowl Sunday, as I think of it. He's at the Ben-Gurion airport in Israel, in Tel Aviv. He's getting ready to fly to the States. And as he's praying and thinking, he looks up on the monitor. This is in the, in the Israeli airport, so there's going to be monitors like this all over. And who's on the monitor speaking but yours truly? Me. Yeah. And, and so it's, it was on METV, which is Middle East TV, which is one of the biggest cable networks there. And I have a, a regular program there. In fact, we're about to, to shoot a bunch more programs for outreach specifically in Israel, speaking to Israelis about Yeshua, the Messiah. He said, why on earth was it on the Ben-Gurion airport? But was that a sign? Or was that cool or what? Well, my guess would be that they must have been watching the Super Bowl, that METV had rights for the Super Bowl. So they were showing the Super Bowl, and then after the Super Bowl, they left it on, and I came on. Now, maybe they had it on just for other reasons. Maybe it's on more. But is that neat or what? So if you can join us in Israel, that would be absolutely amazing. Speaking of that, do keep praying that uh, even, even as uh, we're praying for Israel and praying for, for the surrounding Arab Muslim nations and the, those who identify as Palestinians, praying for God's best for all of them. Uh, and and Israel is a very safe place to be, uh, a very safe place to visit. Even so, there are ongoing attacks, just like there's crime and there are attacks in America. There are terrorist attacks. So the latest uh, 12 Israeli soldiers were wounded in a vehicular ramming attack in central Jerusalem just before 2 a.m. this morning. The terrorist who carried out a ramming attack in Jerusalem during the early hours of Thursday was arrested. Uh, he is 24 years old. And you have to understand Israel is, is proactively stopping these attacks all the time, uh, all the time. And you go to Israel, you feel very, very safe. In fact, we've had people with us in tourists saying, safer than where they live in their home countries. They're just walking the streets at night, going back from a hotel after doing, uh, doing a radio broadcast and walking back to our hotel. And uh, so you'll feel perfectly safe. But we do need to pray because if not for God's restraining hand, and excellent security from Israel, there would be a lot more attacks. All right, I am ready to take a call. I want to get to our caller as soon as she is ready in Oklahoma. So let's just make sure uh, they know that uh, because she is not a Christian. And here we go. Let's, uh, let's go to Oklahoma. Hadassah, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thanks so much for calling. Hi, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. So what's, what's your background, Hadassah? Well, I'm a conservative Jew, mm-hmm. and I enjoy looking at theology, but um, I'm a current college student, and I just like to, like to ask questions about these kinds of things. Awesome. I love it. How did you stumble on our thanks. broadcast? 
Well, I guess because of my curiosity on the subject, I just watch a lot of videos about this subject, and I happen to stumble across yours, and you debate these kinds of things a lot, so I, it interests me. You answer sure. more questions than I was able to get otherwise. <laughs> All right, well, let, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's at least start the conversation here. So how can I help you? Sure. So I'm, I'm wondering, from what I've, I've looked at, there are several references to the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there's many times, even just in the book of John, where it describes that, um, how, what does it mean to love God, essentially, and that it means to keep His commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, how does, how does the modern Christian reconcile with these kinds of verses and keeping commandments, and what are the commandments for Christians exactly? Um, I hear sometimes they say it's only the Ten Commandments, but maybe in the same breath they'll also condemn homosexuality, which I'm, I'm not sure is part sure. of the Ten Commandments. I'm wondering where's the line exactly? Yeah, so it's actually a really big question, but let me answer it as simply as I can. When you read through okay, the New Testament, you. you'll actually find that a large portion of it is drawing from the Old Testament. That was their Bible. These were Jews who were followers of Jesus, Yeshua. They, they, they weren't even called Christians for some time, and Christians didn't mean an, another religion. It was just the way to describe Jews and Gentiles work, worshiping together, followers of this, of this Christ guy. You know, that's, that's how the outsiders were looking at it. But they were Jews. They were Torah-observant Jews. Their Bible was the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. And uh, now they were bringing a message to the whole world, to the Gentile world, that the Messiah had come and that Gentiles could be equal heirs, that together Gentiles could share in the, the heritage and the blessing of the God of Israel and receive forgiveness of sins and new life without having to become Jews. So from day one, it was understood that the Gentiles who became believers did not have to come under the Sinai Covenant, did not have to take on the whole yoke of the Torah. Rather, there were fundamental moral laws, and that are, these are now taught through the entire New Testament. Laws of loving God, laws of loving our neighbor, laws of sexual purity, of the sanctity of marriage. That's, that's where, for example, condemnation of homosexual practice would come in. That's, that's Moses, that's Jesus, that's Paul. They would all say the same thing because it's a fundamental violation of, of God's creation of male, female. But basically, if you'll read through all of the New Testament, you'll find many, many commands, very, very high morality called for, high ethics and things like that, family treatment and husbands and wives relating and children and parents and things like that. So that's what's reiterated, and that's for everybody. Jewish believers in Jesus many times, in keeping with our heritage, feel it's important to continue to identify as Jews, as the first followers of Jesus did, and therefore they'll follow the biblical calendar. Some will meet in what you call a messianic congregation that, that would, would meet on Shabbat and would celebrate Passover and things like that because it's part of our biblical heritage. But in the midst of that, we see Jesus as the one who brings it all to fulfillment, who brings it to its fullest meaning, And then we go back to Jeremiah 31 that speaks of God making a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So we understand that we're no longer under the Sinai covenant. We don't have a standing temple. We don't need physical blood sacrifices. We don't stone people to death for violating the Sabbath and and, and things like that. 
We're under a new and better covenant. And in this new and better covenant, God puts his commands in our hearts and it becomes our nature to follow him and love him and serve him. So as Jews, we continue to have our heritage, but we're under a new and better covenant. Just like their Jewish traditions about in the world to come or in the Messianic era, certain things might change or, or change in dietary laws or change in the sacrificial system because of new realities. So we say with the new reality of the Messiah coming into the world, it has changed certain things. But God's commandments are important to us, and you get them through reading through the entire New Testament. And then you'll see it, it reinforces the great majority of what's taught in the Hebrew Bible, in particular the, the high moral standards and the high ethics. Those are reinforced and taken even further. But let me ask you this, Hadassah, because I'd love to talk to you more but we're at the end of our broadcast. Do you have my book, The Real Kosher Jesus? I don't. (laughs) All right, tell you what, stay right there. We're going to send you a free copy. We're not going to put you on a mailing list or anything like that or share your information with anyone, all right? I want to send you a free copy of the book. You'll find it to be fascinating. It's a a counterpoint to my friend Rabbi Shmuley Boteach's book, Kosher Jesus. I wrote The Real Kosher Jesus. It'll also answer some of these questions. I know you're in college, so you're busy with other things. Once you have a chance to read it a little bit more, please call again. If you can call earlier in the show, I'd love to take more time to talk these things through. So stay right there, and Howard is going to get your info. I want to send you as my gift, The Real Kosher Jesus. And once you have a chance to look at it, then please, let's continue to have the conversation. Thank you so much for calling us today. Stay right there.